Hello and welcome to It Takes Courage to Tell the Truth. This podcast features interviews from women around the world focusing on birth, business, sustainability, health, sex, death and money. I'm your host, Eleanor Bancroft. How can we change the system? Today I talk with Bronwyn Bates a woman who changed the system and created a social enterprise called Metal Women. Metal Women is an ethical gift delivery service, employing women who are experiencing homelessness due to domestic and family violence. Bronwyn saw how the system failed women post-crisis and initiated Metal Women, which gives 100% of their profits to the women who make the gifts. Her transparency and integrity being a CEO of this business is something to aspire to. She gives tips on how we can all become strong female leaders and also how to set up our own social enterprises. Have a listen and enjoy. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today I am joined by Bronwyn Bate. Um, She is live in Perth in Western Australia and we're here to talk about um, your organization, Metal Women. Yeah, I'm so excited. Thank you so much for inviting me to chat. No worries. I um, recently found out about your organization but for those who don't know out there, would you just let us know a little bit about the story and yeah, I guess your inspiration is why the organization came about. Yeah, yeah. So Metal, uh, we're a social enterprise that's set up as a charity and we employ women who are experiencing homelessness as a direct result of domestic and family violence. So the mechanism to do that is through um, a national gift delivery service called Metal Gifts. And I guess we came about, um, I was working in the nonprofit space for a while and interacting with so many incredible um women and men on the front line who were really frustrated at the fact that there was so much um, support in immediate need, so crisis need. But once the women left the shelter, they were really left to their own devices. And very often that resulted in them returning to their abuser or returning to the shelter. So I kind of set out to do a year of research to figure out what existed post-crisis, what kind of means existed to allow people to set up their own financial security so that they didn't have to resort to those dangerous situations again. And although there were some really beautiful organisations out there, none of them were really collaborating, none of them were really focusing on employment, and that's how we came to be. Wow, it's such a good story. And I think also (laughs) it's like such a clear indicator of how we can continue to grow in business with social enterprises that give back to our community that there's so many things put in place with this current structure and system that we live within but there are so many gaps in between that and so i think Mm -hmm. your story is amazing because it, it highlights you know especially to young people who are worried in this current political climate what they're going to do with their life that there is so many opportunities out there for us to actually change the system by creating these kinds of organizations which is really Mm. admirable 
Oh, thank you. I'm very lucky that, um, that this gets to be my job. So thank you. <laughs> and so what about your own story? You just tell me a little bit about your life growing up as a woman in Australia. Yeah, I am. I am really, really lucky. I'm the oldest of three sisters, oldest of four sisters. So I have three beautiful young sisters, um, fantastic parents. I, I did grow up in quite a lower socioeconomic um, background and I guess experienced a lot of, although I never um, endured any domestic violence or family violence situations, I witnessed a lot of friends who were going through that and their parents were going through that. And so I guess it was always something that was in the back of my mind. Um, I'm someone who is, I guess, an eternal optimist and I'm very intrigued by a lot of things. So I um, studied journalism and I guess as a young woman, I thought, oh, this would be great. I can expose all of the injustices and create reform but then not long after being in that career I was like oh okay this maybe that's not the case <laughs> but as a young 21 year old when I graduated I thought yeah this is going to be where I can make change and I just didn't find that change and had this big feeling of helplessness so I kind of jumped around to different comms roles because I wanted to be a storyteller but tell the right kind of stories rather than the stories that were prescribed by whoever my employer was so yeah jumped around to different comms roles and then um, just still kind of felt helpless didn't really have that right fit um, I left a few corporate roles to actually double in the kind of entrepreneurial game with my partner and we opened up um, an organic health food cafe in Melbourne and although it was so beautiful and so nourishing and I met so many fantastic people who really taught me how to slow down and listen to my body and be much more present with the special people in my life that was really healthy but I think I still had that itching to do a little bit more so that was really great practice to run a business. And um, then I started kind of volunteering in the women's empowerment space, in the women's nonprofit space, because that's where my heart was. And I wanted to just give that a try to see what I had to contribute in that space um, with my previous corporate kind of um, comms experience. And then that's where I was working for a little while. And then that's how I um, founded Metal was just being so inspired by all of the women who had devoted their life to driving change in this space. And um, I guess seeing that everyone was doing everything they could, but like you said before, there were just so many gaps that I wanted to be able to try and close. So that's, I guess, how I got to here. Yeah, it's so fascinating when you look at business structures. I'm very anti-capitalist in a lot of my mindsets, but I still operate within certain business structures. And I think like mm -hmm. it's important that people who are trying to change the system know how to work within that. And so I yes. guess I, I, my question is, can you explain what a social enterprise is and how somebody would go about setting something that, like that up? Yeah, I, to be completely honest, I was really conflicted when I first set up Metal about what structure I want, what kind of legal structure I wanted it to be. Um, 
if I'm really transparent, working in the nonprofit space, I saw a lot of stuff that I really wasn't happy with. And I think allocation of money and power and this kind of elitist, um, uh, kind of academic elitist mindset that occupies a lot of the board spaces, I really wasn't happy with it. And I was really scared that if I registered as a charity and if I went down the social enterprise path that I'd have to report to a board of people who might not be in it for the right reasons. Um, so I really did kind of grapple with, do I make this a for purpose business or do I make it a social enterprise? Um, for anyone that's, I guess, wanting to start their own social enterprise, the it's not actually legislated yet in Australia, but the overall um, uh, model is that about 50%, it's, it's meant to be roughly 50% of your profit goes to the beneficiaries that you're trying to serve, that you're set up to serve. So that can happen in any way. Like it can be that 50% of your profits go uh, are donated to a charity or in our case, 100% of our profits go towards um, our enterprise because we're a registered charity. So every cent that we make goes to the wages of the women that we employ. Um, and then all of our overheads are covered by philanthropic support. So we're really lucky that when we say 100% goes to the women, it genuinely does. So that's a really nice luxury that we have. Um, but in setting it up, if, if anyone had that intention, I think the thing that's contributed to our success the most is the fact that our board is the most inspiring, progressive um, group of well-intentioned and really, really just the most phenomenal humans. I love them so much. And I don't think it's very often that a CEO can say, I love my board. So <laughs> I'm really, really lucky that they just, they care. And um, we, when we started, we kind of set these unofficial board rules that were ego is checked at the door. When we have board meetings, we are here to make change. And if I'm ever leading in a direction that is maybe too self-centered, it's their job to pick me up and know that I'm not precious about that and that it's their job to make sure that I'm operating an ethical operation and they do that really well. So I'm very lucky. Wow, that's incredible. And also, I think just like such an example of how we can lead in the world. But also what I really hear from you is like how women lead in the world, you know, and not to pin up men and women, but this is predominantly a podcast focused on telling women, you know, the truth on how we can make impacts in our own life and also ripple out to the world. And yeah. like, all I hear there is this just like very strong empathetic space. And I agree with you. A lot of not-for-profits are set up in certain ways that, you know, the, the salaries of those who, who work is quite dubious, you know, in terms sure. of what actually ends up coming down and uh, impacting people. And I think also there's a lot of mystery that needs to be sure. exposed around not-for-profits is that just because somebody's a not-for-profit doesn't mean that they're working for free. There is an actual yeah, allocated sure. salary, you know, and that's something that I think a lot of people don't understand when they think, wow, you set up a not-for-profit. Wow, you're just a good Samaritan who does all of this totally. work for free. So yeah, social sure. enterprise is a new kind of business model where we can go down and still stay and hold in our integrity. And, you know, I think yeah. there's a lot of businesses out there that are doing community work, but it's amazing that a hundred percent of the, the profit goes back to those women. Cause as mm -hmm. 
you know, as I start to investigate into more kind of models that I want to highlight to people, I'm really understanding how tricky business can be. And we really can lose sight of that big picture when money starts getting involved. So thank you so much for laying out how you guys do it. I think that's like really helpful for people. Thank you. I should note as well, just to be as transparent as possible, um, 100% of the profits do go to the women. But um, as I mentioned, there is a portion of our revenue that does come from grants and philanthropic supporters. So for the first year and a little bit, I was voluntary while I was working at a different role. Um, but I was really lucky that a funder gave me a, you know, a modest salary so that I could quit my other job and dive into this full time. So it is because of generous funders that I can do this properly and you know devote all of my time to this Um, but the actual social enterprise um, the commercial side of things 100% to the women so yeah you're right it is very complex that allocation and it's a tricky line to tread Um, my board are always saying like Bron you probably need to pay yourself more so that you can live but I don't need that. I, I'm really comfortable with what I'm, where I'm at. But I think because I was kind of frustrated with what I was seeing, I just wanted to make sure I didn't follow suit, I guess, and avoid the bad things I was seeing. Absolutely. And I think it's really also important to note in that space that, you know, when we're talking about setting up these um, organizations that are going to ripple out and have an effect to our community, Mm. that we need to make sure as women, we're coming from a full cup and that like paying ourselves is so important. It's actually one Mm. of the most important things if we're going to have longevity for our business. So I'm not at all saying that, you know, we should, we should be just like giving a hundred percent of all the money, not, not doing that. But it is interesting when you look at the not-for-profit space about is, you know, $200,000 for a CEO on the board of blah, blah, blah. I know. Space. It and, blows my mind. <laughs> yeah. And, and really, I think this is where we can see a strong turning in business, especially female-led business. I think it's really what we're mm-hmm. going to start to see will change the way that the world operates. And I think we're in a really great position as um, Australians living in this country that mm-hmm. we can kind of up and start our business whenever we want. But I guess I really want to create encouragement to um, the the audience I have, especially who are not necessarily yeah. so much in the mainstream or wanting to do things a little bit more alternative, that like yeah. we need you. These spaces mm. need you, you know, and your work is really valid and valued and um, totally. you don't have to fit under a capitalist umbrella in order to make change. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so important to have voices like yours sharing that message. It's really special what you're doing. Thank you. I want to ask you a little bit about what you found to be some of the most challenging things when when coming about creating this, um, you know, social enterprise and the business. Yeah, um, there were a couple of things in the setup that were really, <coughs> excuse me, that were really challenging. Um, you want to just start again it's... and I'll cut out the cough. Oh, sorry. No, it's okay. It's, it's so fun. Thank you. Yeah. There's um. <clears throat> such a dusty space <laughs> but um need some water no I'm all good all good thank you <laughs> so um yeah there were there were quite a few things in the setup that were challenging not necessarily in the structure of setting it up but it was very much a mindset 
thing. Um, I'm not necessarily someone who's really outspoken. I'm more of a listener than a talker a lot of the time. So learning to um, refine my pitch and be confident in my pitch, I'd spent so much time um, researching and validating our business plan with survivors from a diverse range of backgrounds and experiences. And I knew that what I was putting forward was worthwhile. But then I think my nerves, as soon as I got into a room to sell that idea, they, they really got in the way. So that's something that I'm really practicing. Um, and that was, I guess, a setup challenge. But the main challenge that I find now that we're established is there are so many things that blatantly just suck that are out of my control within this system. And one thing that I'm really trying to learn, and I'm definitely not there yet, I'm, I'm on a path to learning, I guess, is what is in my control and what I have to kind of desensitize from. Um, I'm such a solutions-driven person and I guess we were set up to provide employment and training and access to financial security. And we're linked in with all of these really beautiful holistic support services, but then, you know, we'll have just as an example, we'll have someone that we've worked really hard with and then they go to court um, to see the verdict of their perpetrator who has been perpetrating the most horrific abuse against them for years. And there's evidence and it's so clear that they're a threat to them and their family. And then they'll get a slap on the wrist and a fine and they'll breach their VRO, their violence restraining order 10 times and they literally just get a fine and there's no, there's no structure that there's so many times that the women that we exist to serve are let down by the system. And I think the really big challenge is understanding that I only have a really small part in um, protecting them. And that's something that I really struggle with because I think, um, you know, I can gather this information, I can write reports, I can write letters to the attorney general and say, this injustice occurred today. Like, this has to stop. It's a, it's a recurring thing, but it's a. I have to understand that it's a really long process because it's such a deep rooted issue, and you know we have strategies in place to try and find resolve, but it's a very slow burn. And what I'm trying to do personally is just learn that I can't um, create change overnight, and. I can't do it alone. So I think learning to connect with people and highlight these challenges that I'm facing um, and hearing that other people are also frustrated and also wanting change um, and then trying to strategically figure out how we can unite to, to create that change because, yeah, it sucks when things are out of your control that are so blatantly wrong. So I guess that's the biggest emotional challenge. And what, what do you see are some of those ways of us coming together to try and really help to change what's going on? Because yeah. that's so serious, you know, and, and domestic oh. violence and abuse in this country is, is intense. And we're also recording this during, you know, the second wave of COVID in Melbourne, where they're going through another yeah. lockdown, where I also am on the board for a women's refuge and, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm aware of what happens when we have to push people into these spaces where they don't feel safe at home. And there are no real systems and structures put in place to protect women because we live under a patriarchal system, but also because it, it happens so much, you know, it happens so much. It's almost like 
oh God, if we were to put every perpetrator in jail, then every, you know, not, not every man, but a huge amount of them would be then, you know, in this judicial, judicial system that isn't necessarily working with rehabilitation either or trying to find that. So what, yeah. what kind of ideas and solutions do you have? Yeah, so you're so right with that. I think one thing that I always want to stress is that I'm never advocating for incarceration as the only solution or or a solution at all. It's I just think that um, we need to work with perpetrators in a way that's more sustainable and kind of partner with organisations that try and prevent rather than cure. And that in itself is a whole different thing. But um, what we're trying to do this year is we've called this group Recharge and Reform because I, a group that we're facilitating through Metal in which we're working with um, the various shelters that we partner with, um, various legal aid, um, frontline legal aid workers who are really pissed off as well because the legal aid system so just as an example of one of these injustices, we, we have this incredible woman who's going through a custody battle at the moment because the family court is separate to the criminal court. And although there is a criminal charge against her perpetrator, he's still in a fight to try and gain full custody of her child. And it just, there's no connection. It makes no sense. And the lawyer that she was appointed was the epitome of just this awful misogynistic bigot who was just not providing any advice saying oh you're being dramatic you're over the top and she came back and shared all of this information and so you know you get on the phone and you write letters and you do what you can to try and secure a new lawyer for her um, but there's only so much that legal aid can do with their limited funding and so we're putting together this group where we've asked everyone who's in this space, who's also noticing these injustices to capture as much as they can with the permission of, you know, the person who's going through these awful situations um, so that we can try and produce a, a research report that shows what's actually happening. And I know that the legal system in WA is very different to the legal system in Victoria and in New South Wales, but I guess, I don't know, we're, we are a little bit behind in WA compared to the other um, legislation that's being passed in different states. And we really need to put the heat, you know, turn the heat up to try and um, drive for change because everyone that I speak to, I, I guess taking it back a little bit, I know that I'm new in this space working on the front line. I've always worked within this space, but never on the front line like this, where I get to see peak crisis. So I thought, okay, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I'm too new. So I'm just going to ask lots of questions with the connections that I have. But to hear women and CEOs of shelters who have been in the game for 40 years saying, oh no, that's just how it is. That's what sucks because it's just a um, not complacency because it's out of their control, but it's just a, an understanding of that's just how it operates, Bron, and please don't get too emotional about it. I'm like, but I am emotional about it. So yeah, trying to approach it in a more um, rational, more calculated way with this group of people who are also frustrated and rather than acting from anger, trying to really... Um, unpack what that where that anchor is coming from and put it present it in a way that um 
progress can come from it. So that's what we're working on at the moment. But like I said, it's a, it's a slow burn, but it's something that we're working on. And apart from something to do with the legislation and, um, you know, the kind of law and systems like that, what other ways do you see that we can like help to, I think like really what we should be doing is targeting men in Australia and working with them because it seems that, as you said, you know, there are women and men who have been fighting for justice for 40, 50, 60, 70 years, you know, like this stuff's all been happening and it's just that social media is now highlighting especially in 2020 the severe injustices we're facing not just as a country but as a global community um do you see any ways that we can at an individual level make an impact to i don't know create conversation community events like what do you think that um i guess your your clientele your your survivors and 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 the men who are perpetrating and women who are perpetrating also because there is a small amount of them but yeah of course you know what what do you think we need to do as a community on the ground level to help support that yeah it's such a great question and it's it I guess it's so comp. I could talk for hours and hours. I have so many ideas about, I guess it has to be a multifaceted approach. Um, but going to what you said about it, having, having to have conversations with men, I had a really beautiful conversation um, with a great man called writer Jack, a couple of, um, I think last month, and they work with young men in rural communities to try and identify, um, I guess how to how to channel emotion and express it in a really healthy way rather than repressing it and letting it manifest in anger or abuse and I think organizations like that are so integral because it has to be a joint effort I don't think there's I I, although I'm the strongest feminist who always prioritizes elevating women I think that this has to be a united effort And I'm surrounded by really fantastic men in my life who I can have really robust conversations with about how how we can create change together because I think a lot of the responsibility is on men to call out other men as well, not just women saying, like, we've had enough, this is not acceptable. It's also men calling out their mates who make silly jokes or that seem like just a joke and then that that you know escalates into more unhealthy behavior but I'm really conflicted as well because um, I think there's these big global campaigns that are really sorry national campaigns that are targeted at a really specific group of men and I think very often there's maybe an idea that um, there's a stereotype of what a perpetrator looks like and what I think would be a step forward at a community level is if we could retrain everyone to understand that a perpetrator doesn't have a specific look. They don't come from a specific demographic. They don't have to be lower socioeconomic. They, they, um, yeah, it's just so diverse. And I think when we can remove that image of a perpetrator, then we can start understanding that this actually impacts everyone. And I think that 
humans have the tendency to go, oh, that's not in my backyard. It doesn't impact me. But as soon as you can start understanding that it impacts everyone, like we have a woman in our program at the moment and her perpetrator is her father, who is an affluent lawyer in the community. And no one suspects him. No one would think that she needs support. She's seen as a privileged person. And it's like, no, she's enduring hell at the moment. So I think without going into too many um, kind of logistical ways that we can shake things up, I think just from a mindset, a personal mindset level, understanding that um, the face of a perpetrator, there isn't one. And um, it, it really does impact people. I guess another thing that you can do from a personal level is noticing any changes in a friend, be it a man or a woman who might be, um, suffering but not really know how to express that because it's a really daunting thing to ask someone if they're okay um, you know if they're flat or whatever it is especially when you suspect that it is linked to abuse so we really need to enhance our ability to have vulnerable conversations with our friends and um, and not be scared to identify when we notice that they're acting differently or if they're maybe a little more timid than usual you know, worst case scenario, nothing is going on and you've just asked them if they're okay. But if they do need that permission to express what's going on, then that could be a lifesaver. So I know I, I, it's, it's, very, um, it's very easy to feel quite helpless in this space because there's so much that, you, that can be done on a systems level. But I guess the main thing that you can do as an individual is change your mindset and understand that um it's not a one type one size fits all kind of thing it, it, it impacts everyone mm, i love yeah. that thank <laughs> you and i think yeah and that that also translates you know victims don't look a certain way come from a certain nationality a certain religion you know and i think that's really exactly. important for us to keep our mind open about that with all things that we're experiencing yeah. as human beings, you know, that every human being in this lifetime is experiencing trauma, whether it's significant or non-significant, it's happening on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, and it could just mm -hmm. be somebody beeping in their car to you or something. And not that I'm relating that to abuse, but totally. I think we have to really come from empathy and compassion and in order to understand everyone's in their own unique journey and totally. suffering doesn't have a, a um a, a certain type of face isn't a certain, mm. certain type of um abstract um image it's very yeah unique yeah. to everyone's own personal journey and experience mm, absolutely so talking now a little bit about what the brand does what your organization actually does um can mm. you tell us a little bit more about what the ethical gifts are and what the women are actually creating and um yeah just yeah. that process mm. so metal gifts was kind of set up as the mechanism to get women into work and to rebuild their confidence and to reconnect with other women with similar lived experiences to them because so they're very isolated um quite often living in the shelters for you know six to eight months or maybe even longer so for them, they haven't had that opportunity to realize their potential. So the gift delivery service is basically someone's birthday, condolences, whatever it is, um, where 
it's an ethical gift box that is made from Australian ingredients, sourced locally, um, and now super local as a result of COVID, which is actually really great. Um, that was the silver lining, I guess, is that we had to localize our supply chain quite significantly. Um, so all of the packaging is kind of uh, recycled or biodegradable. Um, every element of the gift is ethical, not only in the outcome, but also in the procurement and the manufacturing of the products. Um, so basically we have a 24 week um, employment program in which the women come to us from the shelter. They're trained in the product manufacturing, in e-commerce, in um, administration, if they're interested, they kind of design what their own um, employment journey looks like with us. Um, because very often there's, we've had a few different kind of um, goal-oriented women that come in who maybe are really keen to re-enter the workforce and worked a while ago but haven't had a chance to kind of unlock that potential in a while. So they might want to study, in which case we help them apply for scholarships. And we've had two women who have um, successfully completed scholarships in partnerships with local TAFEs while they're with us. And then when they finish, they can go on to more qualified roles. Um, but basically they have a chance to train in every element of the business. And once they're complete at the end of that 24 weeks, um, there's kind of three pathways that they can go down. Um, one is through further study. We've had two women who kind of unlocked their love for learning and reading because they'd never had a chance to do that before. Mm. And to see someone who has been barred from accessing so many opportunities read the first book that they've read in 10 years and just see their eyes kind of light up it's such a special experience so we want to encourage that further learning if that's something that's going to bring them um, joy in whatever they choose to do um, the second path is through employer partnerships so this is with businesses that we've really built beautiful strong relationships with who understand what our purpose is and understand the unique circumstances that these women have been through um, and when we have a graduate we contact them and if they have a vacant role we can transition them across to those employers and then that that's my favorite because then we know the people that they're going to we know that their managers are going to be people who are gentle and nurturing but still you know provide the challenges that they need to take the next steps forward and then the third channel is through our recruitment partner. So we partner with Edge Employment, who's part of the Disability Employment Scheme um, through Centrelink. They're a nonprofit themselves, but very often there's a misconception that being under the DES, the Disability Employment Scheme, is that you have to have a physical disability. Um, and so often these women, women who have PTSD, anxiety, you can even have arthritis and be on the DES. And this is, um, I guess, a, a tool that people didn't know they could access because there's just not really not much information surrounding that. So um, they're connected in with a really great pool of employers who understand um, flexible working environments, have really great domestic violence policies in place, and they're employers that we trust enough to pass the women onto. And I guess 
the main thing is that at the end of the 24 weeks, if there's still stuff going on, if the women are still in the midst of a really messy, messy court battle or anything like that, we have the flexibility as a small, um, a small business to keep them on until they're safe enough to move on to the next thing. So it's not like, okay, six months is over. Goodbye. We're, we're there to kind of transition them into the safest, um, future place that we possibly can so that's kind of the six months in a nutshell and so far we've graduated three women from our program so we launched in september last year um, one has gone on to permanent employment um, one has gone on to full-time study and then the third we've actually offered a permanent role with us so she was just so fantastic and before working with us i think just it's really interesting. Like when they come on board, we can just see the most magical human in the world and they don't understand that magic yet. So it's really nice to watch them discover their self-worth again. And once she discovered that she was just like, I, I've never seen such an incredible um, employee. So I was like, we're going to keep you. <laughs> so it's, it's been really, really great. And we're about to welcome another three women into our program, um, meaning that we'll have five with us at the moment full time. So yeah, it's been a really, really cool um, nine months. <laughs> Wow, amazing. And so with yeah. with the program is it's often that you you bring in three to five women or how many do normally you get, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So it's usually five at a time. Um, we started off in September in September just having three, just because we wanted to make sure that the program that we had designed was functioning properly and we wanted to make sure that they could provide um, their input to make sure that when we brought in the next three that it was the most robust and supportive um, framework possible so yeah it's really it's really um, changed hasn't changed drastically but it's definitely been enhanced since September to factor in all of those things that we didn't anticipate like you know, like I was mentioning those legal aid lawyers before, we didn't anticipate that there'd be days that I'd be reading through legislation and trying to figure out, like I'm not legally trained at all and trying to figure out how I can best support them and a lot of research in trying to find the best connection and referral points. So there's a lot that we've weaved into it now that factors in um, stronger partnerships so that they're really supported holistically. And I really love that, like working in small numbers, like I really appreciate that you have this idea, you know, we talked about the slow burn or just like really taking the time to, to, to see people, to value them and to get mm. them to understand what their worth is. Sometimes we really lose that in, in massive groups, you know, and a lot of, I think For organizations, sure. they tend to they tend to have a model and they tend to expand quite quickly, too quickly, and it kind of combusts on itself. So I really mm. admire that. I really love the idea of working with a small amount of women. And what that also does is, you know, I think highlights to other people how you can set up a business, how you can make change slowly. But what you guys mm. are in for is longevity. You know, it's the long game, which is important because, you know, 50, 60 years down the track, if, you know, hopefully we'll have no domestic violence anymore because you guys would have done your job. <laughs> Fingers <laughs> <But> crossed. <laughs> think about how many women in that span, you know, and I think we 
get brought up in a, in a society that's told, you know, like profit amongst people, numbers are, need to be high and efficient. They need to roll through. And I really think that women leadership can actually do a lot of the undoing mm-hmm. of what we're taught in that same mm-hmm. way of coming. Okay. I'm going to work with this small amount of people so that one, there's more people to be working with for other organizations to step in, but really give it, mm-hmm. give it the long game. And yeah, mm-hmm. that's, it's just really amazing to hear what you're doing, Bron, because I really admire it and the structure in which Thank you're you. setting up. And I think like actually you're an amazing voice for young female like business leaders who want to do something different and and we need to highlight stories um you know like yours and and like metal that are showing the way that we can still work within a system that may not work for us but we can make change and understand it will be slow but it will be much more rewarding yeah thank you so much i'm so grateful for that we um i think one of the really deliberate um steps that our board took was setting in place a strategy with three really key key pillars that we wouldn't budge from ever and they the first one was sustainability so to hear you say you know um we're in it for the long game and we want to provide an outcome that that is sustainable um that's, that's really what we're operating for. So we have sustainability, um, impact and awareness. And we want to make sure that regardless of the pressures that are being put on us by, say, corporate partners or whoever else to, you know, this year you need to have this many more women, if that doesn't create a long-lasting um, outcome, then no. <laughs> so it's really nice that I have the support from the board to do that. And it's really nice to hear you kind of echoing that sentiment. So thank you. Yeah, and I think we need more businesses partnering with corporations and saying no and sticking in their integrity and being, we we Mm. are here for the women, for the community, whoever your business Mm. is focused towards. And that's how we're going to make change. You know, maybe it'll be really hard to change the laws that have been put into place over the last 200 years or so. But, you know, what we can do is make an impact by by actually standing in that and not moving because of money or not moving because we're in positions of power to say I'm just going to give that up because that's what everyone's Mm -hmm. done before me so thank you from myself and and I'm sure (laughs) many other women around Australia for the work that you're doing thank you so much I'm so grateful to share it (laughs) yeah it's it's great I really want to get this information out to people um how can people support you and um support your cause yeah I think um this is like you were saying before, we have to kind of turn profit into purpose and know that they can be intertwined. So um, the main source of our revenue is through our gift store, which is metalgifts.com, M-E-T-T-L-E. And every gift box um, equates to one hour of work for the women that we employ, as well as counselling support, um, all of the kind of extracurricular stuff that we have in our program. So it's kind of really, it, it translates across really nicely to what impact you're having when you purchase a gift. Um, 
And I guess that spreading the word as well, we're still small, like we're still only nine months old. So if you've got a gift to send, send a metal gift box. But if you even don't have the capacity to be spending money at the moment, which is so understandable, um, just liking our Instagram page, liking our socials and following the work that we're doing and sharing the stories of the women that, that we're sharing as well, because for them to you know build up the courage to share what they've been through is so significant and I don't want that courage to be wasted I, I want their sh stories to be spread far and wide so if you don't have the capacity to spend just using your voice or using your platform to to share the word that would be incredible right and normalizing our our relationship around abuse in general I think is important oh, yeah. for women relying on each other and like you said earlier really activating those conversations mm. even if they're hard and uncomfortable you know we've got to be able to look for each other and also be able to be aware that there is a, a huge network of people and organizations such as yourself out there to you know mm. kind of support us and and to make us realize we're not alone yeah, I guess on that note, actually, I might just um, one one organization that I can really um, attest to just being the most ethically driven and most beautiful team behind it um, is the Full Stop Foundation, mm. and they provide um, they provide free. Um, over the phone and online counselling services for anyone who's experienced abuse, um, sexual assault or anything kind of under that umbrella. And um, yeah, I just can't praise them enough. They're really incredible. So I think if you don't have that person that you feel confident enough to open up to or reach out, or maybe you're too isolated and you can't, um, I really recommend giving them a call. They're just phenomenal. I can see their number in the distance, but my eyesight's really bad. So I might just send that to you later, <laughs> but they're, they're really fantastic. <laughs> um, full stop. Are they, I'm just trying to have a look now. Um, 1-800-RESPECT.org? No. No, it's a different one, um, but I'll send you the link later on and um, then, yeah, maybe let oh. me just see. Okay, okay, New South Wales um, rape crisis call 1-800-424-017, sexual assault counselling Australia 1-800-211-028 or you can head straight to their website, which is rape dash dvservices.org.au for online counseling um, if you do have access to wi-fi or you can get connected yeah yeah they're really incredible cool thank you so much Bronwyn. um i have one last question it's um yeah. question i ask every woman who i interview which is um what is the greatest truth that you have discovered in this human experience that is such a great question. Um, <laughs> I think, especially in this experience in setting up metal, I think this year, the last two years have been really, really transformative for me because I set about um, establishing this organization to bring change into others' lives. But the change that I've undergone myself was just more than I could have ever dreamed of in a really wonderful way. But my biggest truth, I think, is really valuing the tool of listening. Um, 
I think, <laughs> but it's, it's attributed to the, the success of the business so far because it's not a prescriptive business model. It's a business model that has been um, created by listening to the people who I was intending to support. And that's the business side of things. But I think that's what attributes to my really beautiful relationships and the relationships that keep me um, afloat when things get tricky. I have so many phenomenal friends and peers in my life. And I think the reason that our relationships are so strong is because, again, I used to think it was a bad thing maybe that I was a listener rather than a talker. But I think that maybe I'm realizing that that's an asset now. So, and maybe another truth is realizing that it's okay to identify your assets. <laughs> I think that that used to be something that I really struggled with, but it's okay to say, you know, this is something, this is one of my strong suits. And I think, yeah, one of my strongest traits is the fact that I can really actively listen before acting or before trying to come up with a solution. So I guess listening is a really valuable tool. Definitely. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for your time, Bronwyn. I really appreciate it. And yeah, again, just appreciate the work you're doing and really look forward to touching base with you in the not so far future and just seeing how yeah. metal is going. And um, I'm a huge supporter. And yeah, I really want to spread the message of what you're doing. So thank if you, you ever find yourself in New South Wales, then come and visit me. And I'd love to like host something with young women where you could, you know, just tell again that story of how to be a really amazing and inspiring business leader who's creating change. <laughs> thank you so much. And thank you for all of the work that you're doing as well. I'm such a big fan and we need more voices like yours. So thank you and keep it up. <laughs>